Good afternoon, everyone. For those of you not familiar with the biblical holy days, this Bible study is taking place on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread of 2022. If you want to know more about the Feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I invite you to visit our website where you may find an article uh, entitled the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Putting Sin Out. The article explains when the feast is held, its historical significance, and how it applies today in terms of our relationship with God. I think you will find the article informative and encouraging, and I hope you will consider looking at it if you haven't already. Let's begin our service with prayer. Father in heaven, great God and creator, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who gave himself in a most profound way, not only by emptying himself of his glory as the great God and creator, but suffering a horrible uh, rejection and punishment and death, pouring out his blood by which we are washed from our sins if we repent. And that blood is applied through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and baptism to our sins. We pray, God, that you will bless this service, that you will inspire it, that you will be with each one who participates. And we pray it will be edifying and uplifting for all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The subject of today's sermon is, is today the only day of salvation. And the question is, salvation sealed at the time of one's death? Are your loved ones destined to suffer eternal torment simply because they did not profess or make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ in this lifetime? The common belief is that one's eternal destiny, destiny is determined by the choices he makes in this lifetime. And it's widely taught that if one makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that when the person dies, he goes to heaven or to purgatory. As some believe, either heaven or purgatory, some believe it could be either uh, one or one or the other, but a common belief is that the dead are not really dead, but human beings have a mortal soul that cannot die. And so the soul, the conscious entity, migrates to either heaven or hell or purgatory when a person dies. And so the person remains in his it's alive with a conscious existence but without a body and further in a common belief is that eventually the soul will be reunited with a body in a future resurrection so the dead are not really dead they uh, are simply continuing to live either one place or another and those who are not saved in this lifetime are damned to eternal suffering, eternal torment in hell. 
and those who have made a profession of faith in Christ are going to spend eternity in paradise with God or in heaven as paradise is often conceived of. Now the fact is that most people on the earth today do not believe in Jesus Christ. They have not made a profession of Jesus Christ as a personal savior. And many, many millions perhaps have not even heard of Jesus Christ, certainly in from the perspective of history, many have lived and died, many millions, probably billions, have lived and died who've never even heard of Jesus Christ, much less had a saving faith in Christ. And at best, many millions of others have barely heard of Christ. And so what that means is that if the doctrine that I just outlined, which is a popular, widely believed doctrine, is true, then most people who have lived and died are destined for eternal torment in hell unless somehow Christ has been professed in this lifetime or is professed in this lifetime. And so this concept that's widely taught in Christianity is summed up in a comment on 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 in Barnes notes, uh, Barnes New Testament notes, and quoting from that source, it says, now is the accepted time. At some future period, it will not be. If men grieve away the Holy Spirit, if they continue to reject the gospel, if they go unprepared to eternity, no mercy can be found. God does not design to pardon beyond the grave. He has made no provision for forgiveness there. And they who are not pardoned in this lifetime must be unpardoned forever. Now, according to scripture, a saving faith must be based on a knowledge of the truth, a knowledge sufficient for one to have the kind of faith that is required for salvation. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, I believe it is, that they had been without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Speaking of those who had been converted to genuine faith in Christ, we read in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, in him that is in Jesus Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Frequently used to support the idea that one's eternal destiny is irredeemably determined at the time of death for one living in this age is the following. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, where it reads, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
Now, considering the scripture and its context, we can conclude that Paul is indeed exhorting the Christians in Corinth that he wrote to to be reconciled to God, to not receive the grace of God in vain, to separate themselves from idolatrous, idolatrous practices, to be cleansed, and to seek perfect holiness in the fear of God. You can refer to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 6 and verse 1, 14, verse 8, uh, for, uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, for, verses 14 through 18, and chapter 7 and verse 1. And you will find those things mentioned by Paul in, in addressing the Corinthians. The letter, the entire letter, as well as 1 Corinthians for that matter, is full of pleadings and warnings for the people in Corinth who were associated with the church there. And so the pleadings and warnings, both from 1 and 2 Corinthians, not to let salvation slip from their grasp, that we read in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, was telling them that it was a day of salvation for them if they took Paul's warnings and exhortations seriously and repented of their sinful conduct. Now God holds us accountable for the decisions that we make for our behavior. Paul wrote, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Now the phrase he has done in this verse, in the New King James Version, is from the Greek word praso, which means, in, which is in this case in the arrow's tense and should be translated he practices. As we read in the Strong's Real Greek Bible Dictionary, the Greek word praso means to practice. So it is speaking of one who practices sin, the things he has, that he practices, not just the things he's done, but the things that he practices. And so a person who deliberately and willfully practices sin is following the path of Satan, according to scripture, and will be judged accordingly. In 1 John 3 and verse 8, and this is from the New English translation, 1 John 3 and verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning for this purpose. The Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of Satan. The Greek word translated practices here in, in this verse is poio in the present tense, which implies present and continuing action. Someone who continues to practice sin, one who persists in transgressing God's commandments. We read in 1 John 3 and verse 4 that sin is the transgression of the law. So the Bible defines sin as transgressing God's laws, his commandments, his word. And we read in 1 John 2 and verse 3, 1 John 2 and verse 3, now by, now by this we know him, that is Jesus Christ, if we keep his commandments. Now, the Corinthians had been taught 
the commandments of God by Paul, by Timothy, and Titus, who are all mentioned in the letters to the Corinthians as individuals who had been among them and taught them. And they are warned in Paul's epistles concerning certain sins that were being practiced among them, especially idolatry and sexual sins and others as well, including allowing themselves to be influenced by false teachers. And you can read more about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, and in 2 Corinthians 11, which mentions the false teachers and certain other things. Those who are part of the church of God, who have knowledge of God's requirements, are subject to judgment, as are others. And we will be judged by the things that we practice, especially those who are part of the church now. And we, others will be judged in certain respects as well. But false teachers abound in the world and have subverted the word of God, posing as apostles or ministers of Christ, teaching a false gospel and a false Jesus. And this is mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and verses 12 through 15. A common teaching accepted by many is that Jesus did away with God's commandments and that Christians are not obligated to, to keep or obey the commandments of God, even though that teaching is contradicted by numerous scriptures. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, not, not uh, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now in saying that he came to fulfill the law, Jesus did not mean that he came to do away with the law, as many suppose, which is not only contrary to the plain meaning of the words he used, as well as the context in which he spoke, but is contrary to many other scriptures as well, some of which we just read. A common definition of the Greek word used in the passage we just read, translated fulfill, is to fill full, as is mentioned in Robertson's word pictures in the New Testament. The New Thayer's Greek-English lexicon explains the meaning further as used in this context, quote, to cause God's will as made known in the law to be obeyed as it should be. And God's promises given through the prophets to receive fulfillment. Now let's be clear, salvation cannot be earned. We cannot earn salvation. 
because salvation is a gift. As we read in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So eternal life, salvation is a gift of God. It cannot be earned. But on the other hand, God does not grant the gift of salvation to those who refuse to submit to him and to obey his commandments. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. But if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. If you would enter into life, said Jesus, keep the commandments. He also said in a prophecy in Revelation 22 and verse 14, Revelation 22 and verse 14, where Jesus was revealing to uh, the apostle John certain uh, prophetic uh, visions. He said, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and that and may enter through the gates into the city. Blessed are those who do the commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. We're informed by prophecy that God is going to send Jesus Christ to judge the earth and all mankind will be affected. And this is mentioned in a number of places in scripture. Uh, we're informed by prophecy that God is going to send Jesus Christ to judge the earth and all mankind will be affected. For example, in John 5 verse 22, Acts 17 verse 31, and you can read Revelation 16 about the judgments of God on mankind. Those who come to a knowledge of the truth in this age and overcome their own fleshly nature, overcome the evil influences of the world, overcome Satan through the power of the Spirit of God working in them, Christ living in them through his Spirit will be resurrected, we're told, to eternal life at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And they will be given a place as children of God in his kingdom. And they will also be given places of responsibility in the government that Jesus Christ will establish over the earth at that time. We read in Romans 8, beginning with verse 12, Romans 8, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So that's a very plain statement that Paul made. If you live according to the flesh, follow the lusts of the flesh and fleshly temptations and walk down that path, you will that will lead to death. But if you're led by God's Spirit, then you will be eventually a full, full son of God in the kingdom of God, sharing God's likeness. In 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, we read, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you uh, are disqualified? 
So we need to test ourselves to see that Jesus Christ is living in us. And if Jesus Christ is living in us, then he will be following the same path that he followed in the flesh when he was fully obedient and faithful to God. We're told in Revelation 2 and verse 7, this is speaking to the church of God. And Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He who overcomes will be given to eat from the tree of life. That represents eternal life in God's kingdom. In Revelation 3 and verse 21, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Speaking of uh, the places of responsibility that those in the first resurrection will have under Jesus Christ's authority during the millennial period following Christ's second coming. It also tells us in Revelation 21 and verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. So overcoming is something that's repeated over and over that God expects and requires of us if we are to be faithful to him and his word. And we read in Revelation 20 and verse 6, Revelation 20 and verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So this tells us something about the kind of reward or rewards we can expect and the blessings that we can expect, which includes eternal life, as I said, a gift from God, not something we earn but it is necessary to overcome and obey God, to receive that gift, to submit ourselves to God. And these scriptures tell us some of the things that we will uh, be offered or that we are offered if we remain faithful in this lifetime. If we have truly repented of our sins, if we have been baptized, received the Holy Spirit, and if we have continued in the faith. But what about the rest? What about those who, have, for one reason or another, have not found Christ, who have not been instructed in the message of the gospel, who have not come to a saving faith, for one reason or another, who did not overcome what about them, those who failed to find and obey the truth? The Bible tells us that the vast majority of mankind in the world, historically and today, have been deceived by Satan. Not just a few, but the vast majority, historically and today, have been and are deceived by Satan. As we read in Revelation 12, verse 9, and the great dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. Who deceives the whole world. 
which means the vast majority of people, not necessarily every single person, but the vast majority of people on the earth all down through history from the time of Adam and Eve until now have been and are deceived. They've been deceived through human lusts, through false religion, through the deceitfulness of sin, and all nations are deceived, as Scripture tells us, and are cut off from a saving relationship with God. So the question is, are those vast numbers, the vast majority of mankind living today and down through history, are they eternally lost? Are they condemned to be tortured forever in an ever-burning hell, cut off forever at the end of their physical lives from any hope of salvation? The good news is the Bible speaks of a yet future time of salvation and of hope for redemption of those who have died in their sins in this lifetime. Now, it's never safe to take for granted God's mercy and patience and to believe that one can refuse to obey God with impunity. Refusing One's opportunities for repentance in this age will not only deprive him or her of a place in the first resurrection, which is called the better resurrection. We just read some of the things that will be given to those in the first resurrection. But if we refuse persistently our opportunities to repent it could lead to our becoming hardened to the point of being incorrigible. A time of judgment is coming. And those who know God's will and refuse to do it, according to Jesus Christ, are judged worthy of greater punishment than those who did not have an opportunity to have access to such knowledge. Persistent and stubborn refusal to act, to repent, of one's sins, if carried too far, may end in the second death through being burned up in the lake of fire. When we read in Revelation 21 and verse 8 that there will be those who are cast into the lake of fire refusing to repent. And it is possible that we might resist God to the point of being, becoming incorrigible even in this lifetime. But God is merciful and his desire is to save, not to destroy mankind, as we read in various scriptures. He has allowed human beings to go their own way from the time of Adam and Eve, who sinned. They chose to follow Satan rather than obey God's commandments. And so they became subject to Satan's deceptions. And they became victims of their own rebellion against the creator, not only Adam and Eve, but every human being since that time has at one time or another been a slave of sin and most have remained slaves to sin during their lifetimes. But the period of the age of man cut off from God and under Satan's sway is drawing to a close. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 has been mistranslated in most English translations of the Bible. In the Greek in which it was originally written, 
There are no definite articles in the verse. It does not say what is implied by the errors in translation. Now is the day of salvation, which would lead one to believe that that is the only day of salvation. And that's what many uh, translations, how many translations phrase it. Now is the day of salvation. And of various translations I've consulted, only a few have translated the verse properly, not as the day of salvation, but as a day of salvation, as it is in the Rotherham translation and Young's literal translation, which translated correctly without the definite article. It was a day of salvation for the people in Corinth, but it is not the only day of salvation. Paul writing of the Israelites as a people reveals that only a relatively small number of the elect had obtained salvation, but the rest were blinded. Speaking of the people of Israel, all down through the history of ancient Israel and up through modern times, it would apply as well, the descendants of Israel. And uh, the rest were blinded, it says, the elect, which would include a relatively small number, were worth, counted worthy of salvation at the time they ended their lives, which we read about in uh, various uh, scriptures, including Hebrews 11 and elsewhere. But the others were given over to spiritual blindness by the refusal to believe and obey God. Scripture says in Psalm 111 and verse 10, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. And God had revealed his commandments to Israel at Mount Sinai. He had spoken to them with his own voice from the mountain. They had agreed to be his people and to obey his word, but they did not keep their part of the agreement. God sent them prophets to teach them his ways to call them to repentance, but they persistently, most of them refused to listen to God's prophets, which is mentioned in numerous places in scripture in the, both the Old and New Testaments. So they were given over to spiritual blindness and they were remained captive to their sins. Paul wrote in Romans 11 and verse 11, though a very important question that he addressed to us and to the Romans, and that includes us as, as uh, also recipients of these instructions. He said, I ask then, this is Romans 11 and verse 11, I ask then, they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? Absolutely not, he answered. And that's from the New English translation. And Paul went on to say, in verse 33 of Romans 11, verse 33, they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. In other words, he is able to restore them to a proper relationship with God. And it's also stated in verse 36 of this chapter, Romans 11, 
it's revealed that all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Now that is hyperbole. It doesn't, uh, uh, which is a figure of speech that's often used in Greek and for that matter, English in the scriptures. But uh, it doesn't mean all or every single one, but it is most. The implication is that most of Israel ultimately will be saved. And it goes on to explain more in, in verses 26 and 27. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, Scripture pictures a future resurrection to physical life of the people of Israel. And the prophecy begins with a valley full of bones of those long dead. And God says to the bones, Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 5, Ezekiel 37 and verse 5, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so God says to the prophet, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. God says to them, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. So here will be vast numbers of people who will come up out of their graves and restored to physical life. And they will, having been resurrected by God and God being right there in their presence, they will know that God is the author of life, the creator. And they will have a chance to, be, to receive God's spirit and be redeemed from death. The Bible reveals a future time when the dead, not only of Israel, but all nations will be re uh, resurrected to physical life in the same way. Jesus said in John 5, verse beginning verse 28, John 5, verse 28, do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation or judgment, as it is in several translations, not necessarily condemnation. They will, it will be a resurrection to judgment and they will have an opportunity to be taught just as the people mentioned in Ezekiel 37. We read more about this in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and become has become the first fruits, or 
the proper translation would be the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. And sleep here is used as a metaphor for death, as it is in many places in Scripture. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Notice that in Christ all shall be made alive. Everyone who has died will be made alive, but each one, it says, in his own order. Christ the first fruit, as it should be, afterward those who are Christ at his coming, that is those who have been faithful to God, who have repented of their sins and been faithful in this lifetime and died will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ then, it says, comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and all power. So there is an order. There are to be a series of resurrections. And the first to be resurrected to eternal life, and so far the only one to be resurrected to eternal life is Jesus Christ. Others will be resurrected at the time of his second coming. And then after the millennial period, there will be others who will be resurrected. So we have a series of resurrections and further details are given in the book of Revelation. Satan will have been put away after the millennial period and no longer present to lead human beings astray. He will be released for a short period after the millennium, but then put away for good. And then after that, in Revelation 20, beginning with verse 12, we read, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, which simply means the grave, delivered up the dead who were in them. Now notice that the dead come up out of the sea and out of the earth, out of their graves. They're not coming out of heaven, nor they're coming out of what many people imagine is, is a fiery hell. They're coming up from the sea and the, the graves in which they'd been buried, as we read, read earlier, a valley full of dry bones representing the uh, remains of those who had died. And it says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and the grave delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Now notice here that books are opened. Actually, the word Bible simply means books. And that's what it's talking about. The Bible will be opened. And the Bible will be taught to those people resurrected at that time, most of them for the first time. Some of them may have known certain things about the Bible, but they may have been misled or they may have uh, 
not fully understood or for whatever reason they need further instruction. But scripture tells us, as Jesus said in John 6 verse 45, they shall all be taught by God. Every human being who has ever lived and died, who has ever even been conceived, is going to be taught by God at one time or another. And notice also that another book was opened, which is the book of life. That means that they will have an opportunity when they are being taught to repent of their sins and they will have an opportunity for their names to be written in that book of life. They will have an opportunity to be granted the gift of eternal life. And that truly will be a day of salvation for vast multitudes of the formerly dead who will be restored to life, taught the truth and given an opportunity to be granted eternal life in God's kingdom at that time. Now, I've written an article on this subject, which is posted on our website, cogmessenger.org. And you can read that article there because it contains additional scriptures and, and perhaps some further details. You could download it or read it for further study and scriptural references. And it is also published in our magazine in the winter 2020 edition. The same article is found there. Excuse me, uh, winter 2022, not winter 20. Winter 2022 edition, the most recent edition of the magazine. As you can see there, winter 2022 has this article beginning at the front. Is this the only day of salvation? And you can subscribe to our magazine if you would like. You can go to our website and subscribe there. Would be probably the most convenient way. And there are several ways you can subscribe to it if you wish to take advantage of that publication. Now, in this message, I have touched on subjects that uh, are related to it. And for further information about this general subject, I would recommend that you read these articles which explains more about how God deals with humankind and will put to rest some of the misconceptions that people have had and do have about how God works with people. Among the articles that I recommend, especially in relation to this subject, include are the lost predestined to hell, three resurrections, the truth about hell, and did Jesus fulfill the law? And another one, what is death? So again, there are five articles here that I especially recommend in relation to this subject. In addition to our article, is this the only day of salvation? Are the lost predestined to hell? Three resurrections, the truth about hell. Did Jesus fulfill the law? And what is death? And these are all available on our website for you to read or download if you wish.